Just as a way of reminder, I know it was already announced once, but I'm going to announce it again. We will be having service next Sunday. It will start at 1015. The whole premises of next Sunday is we are going to make room for Jesus. A lot of times I don't think we make room for Jesus. I think we get so busy about the cultural aspects of Christmas that we forget that it has a much deeper meaning. And the scripture that we're going to be coming from today has a much deeper meaning as well. Y'all know we've been in the book of Hebrews for quite some time now and we still got a ways to go. I know we only got four more chapters to go through, but at the same time, it's a ways to go. But today, instead of turning to Hebrews, I want you to turn to the book of Genesis. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 4. Over the next couple of weeks, not, not next Sunday, but over the next couple of weeks after that, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the Old Testament looking at the situations of faith that are being talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. I was so thankful for Brandon last week and, um, and his willingness to be ready to share his testimony. And I hope it inspired some of you to do the same. Because our story of faith is a testimony. The other night I was watching TV. Um, for some reason, we can't go to bed at our house without a TV on. Not my fault, I promise. But when I have the TV on and a remote close by, I'm going to spend a lot of my time flipping. So I was flipping through the channels and all of a sudden, um, one of the Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean come on. And the title of it was Dead Men Tell No Tales. And when I seen the caption of it, it just caught me. It caught me off guard because one of what we are talking about today, but also because it's one of those statements that we've heard for a long time and we think there is truth to it. But when we look at it deeper, it's just another cute saying. It's an idiom. And this saying even goes back to even before Christ's birth. It's a saying that we've heard in movies and poems and various writings and even by a 16th century Protestant reformer. Dead men can't speak. Dead men can't lie. Dead men can't reveal secrets. All of these are from the same saying of dead men tell no tales. The reason it is saying this is because we believe that when we are dead, there are no secrets that we can reveal. But the scripture that we're going to read today speaks absolutely contradictory to what is being said in that statement. Dead men do tell tales. Dead men still have testimonies. Dead men still have legacies. And dead men still speak to us today. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testified about his gift and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Dead men do tell tales. Abel, is telling us to tell. But what we've got to get to is exactly what is Abel trying
trying to tell us. Before we really get into this, I want to take a little bit of time to pray. I want to pray over the word today because I really want us to see what it is that Abel is trying to speak to us. But I also want us to be praying for Pastor Jerry. Uh, Pastor Jerry had the opportunity to go preach at his former church that he served at for 25 years. Their pastor's wife is very sick and, and they needed somebody to fill in. So I want us to, I told Jerry that we'd be praying for him this morning, but I also want us to pray for the word that is delivered here. Because in what we see today, it's one of these things that we misinterpret it a lot. But what's being pointed at here goes very deeper. Just like Christmas. It goes deeper than the surface level stuff that we see. So let's pray that God would open our eyes to what he has for us in his word this morning. Father, I just want to thank you. First, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters. I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand before them, but I also want to thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Father, this morning, I know there are many pastors that are about to do the same thing that I am doing now. And this morning, Lord, I want to lift every single one of them up to you. I pray that you would help them to speak truth. I pray that you would help them to be clear. But I also pray that you would be with Jerry. Father, I know there's some anxiety that he has, which there's anxiety every time we get in the pulpit. But I just pray, Lord, that you would use him to speak clearly and effectively to the people of Avilok. I pray for us this morning, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see the real meaning behind what Abel is trying to speak to us thousands and thousands of years, even after he has come. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what your word has for us this morning. But I also pray, Lord, that you would help us to not just be people who hear the word, but people who actually apply the word, who live by the word, and who exercise our faith on a daily basis. Father, once again, just thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together. Be with all of our brothers and sisters all over the world. And Father, help us. Help us all to this week prepare in our hearts to make room for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what exactly is Abel trying to speak to us thousands of years after his death? Well, I'm going to go ahead and give you the two things that he's trying to speak to us. And then we're going to go back and we're going to examine them a little bit. The first thing that Abel is trying to speak to us is that true faith always starts with the blood. The first thing that Abel is trying to tell us is true faith always starts with the blood. And the second thing that he is trying to tell us is that true faith will always be met with resistance. True faith will always be met with resistance. So to see where we're getting this, let's go to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to start in verses 1 and we're going to read through verse 8. Genesis chapter 4. Well, I got my bookmark right here. I could just do that. Genesis verse four, chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, 
I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was the keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fattened portions. And the Lord regarded, had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And, what, and then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And, it is, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and killed him. A couple of things I want you to put into context here. Within 130 years of creation coming about, not only do we have the fall, we also have the first murder. In this scripture, we see it clear. Cain is the first offspring of Adam and Eve. And Cain's occupation is a husband to the ground. He is a gardener. He is a farmer. He has a brother who comes along and his occupation or what he works at is being a herdsman. In a course of time, and it doesn't give the course of time of how long this was, it was within the first 130 years. I can tell you that because Seth is born 130 years after Adam is created. So I can tell you it's in, with the, in that 130 years. But sometime over the course of time, they brought an offering to God. Abel's offering was the fattened calves the firstlings of his flock. He brought them to the Lord and presented them. Cain's offering was fruit and vegetables. God saw Abel's offering and he regarded it him and his offering. He saw Cain's and he didn't regard it. Now there are thousands of commentaries out there. There are thousands of sermons given on this. And a lot of people want to bounce around a lot of different concepts about what is being spoke here. A lot of people use this in the aspects of giving. And yes, it is talking about giving to some extent in this. Now, they are presenting an offering before the Lord. But this goes so much deeper than just giving. Because it's not just about the gift, it's about exactly what is given. So let me ask you this. Think about this. Why do you think, 
Why do you think Abel's offering is regarded and Cain's is rejected? Don't answer. Why do you think Cain's offering is rejected, Abel's offering is accepted? A lot of things come to my mind when I read this. One of the things that come to my mind is simply the fact of who told them that an offering was required? We don't know this. We have no idea of the context of what's being given here because we go from the fall to kids to murder. There's a lot missing here, okay? There's a lot missing here. But there are some things that we can pull out of this. All of us have had times in our life when we feel compelled to do something. All of us have had these gut feelings in our stomach when we know God is pushing us to do something, but we don't necessarily understand what it is that he's pushing us to do. For some of you, it may be going on a mission trip. I remember the first mission trip that I went on, the true first mission trip that I went on, God was really compelling in my heart to do this. Did I understand why? No. But when I got there, the understanding come about why I went on this trip. For some of you, you may have been compelled to do something for somebody, not really understanding why you are doing it. But at the same time, there's just something inside of you that tells you this is what needs to be done. So you go and help those people. Never will forget when I was young, growing up with a single mom. I remember things being slipped in my mom's purse. Money being slipped in my mom's purse. A refrigerator showing up on our door. Why? Because people were compelled to do it. Did they know the circumstances? Sure, they knew that she was a single mom raising three kids. But did they know, point blank, that she needed it? Not necessarily. But people were compelled to do something. Faith compels us to do things, even when we don't understand them. One of my favorite stories about faith compelling people involves a group of missionaries. A man by the name of Ed McCullen, a man by the name of Roger Yurdrin, a man by the name of Pete Fleming, another man by the name of Nate Saint, and another man by the name of Jim Elliott. And many of you have all heard of these stories. You've watched the movie, The Edge of the Spear, where these men went to Ecuador to minister to a group of in individuals that were completely separated from any, any, any type of society whatsoever. These were ruthless people. The Herodian people, which were first the Cua people, were considered to be a very, very hostile group of people. Anybody who had tried to go minister to these people always met opposition. But something was inside of these five men that could not let them let go of going and ministering to them. The first way they started ministering to them is they started tying buckets to the plane and they would fly over, fly over the area and they would drop these buckets. 
And they would watch the people flock from the woods and go to these buckets to collect what's been given. After a time of doing this, they felt like they had gained a rapport with the people, even by simply dropping buckets. I know it sounds crazy, but they felt like they had gained some rapport with them. So they felt like it would be safe for them to land on a beach, on the river, right outside of their tribe. When they landed, again, we don't know much of the story, but when they landed, all five men were killed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't understand why faith would compel two pe- uh, five people to do this. This doesn't make sense in my mind. This does not make logical, rational sense. Matter of fact, some of us would say this is downright foolish. But the story doesn't just stop there. The story goes on much further than that. Because after Nate Saint and Jim Elliott were killed, Nate's sister, Rachel, and Jim's wife, Elizabeth, instead of saying, well, that's over with, let's move on. They weren't done. There was something inside of them that was compelling them to do something even more. Instead of hatred and anger and rage for these people, they had compassion. They had brokenness. And they had a desire to see this group of individuals evangelized with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, they knew the power of the gospel. They knew the power of the shed blood to give remission for sin. And they were not willing to even allow their brother and their husband's death to stop them from taking the gospel to these people. Within two years, within two years, Elizabeth and Rachel leading teams to get back in there. The whole village is evangelized with the gospel of Jesus Christ within two years. Now, I don't know about you, but that don't make sense to me. That don't make sense to me that somebody would allow themselves to be compelled with such a feeling inside that they're willing to set aside their revenge, their anger, and their rage to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people. That doesn't make sense to me that people would move in such a way that the gospel is expanded. But brothers and sisters, if you look very carefully all throughout Acts, you will see very similar situations to this. You will see things like Stephen being martyred in front of the whole church of Jerusalem. And then the church scatters. Everybody thought that was the end of the church, but what they don't know is that Stephen's martyring. The church exploded. Why? 
faith compelled them. Now, when we look here at this story of Abel, sure, we can say, well, maybe it was passed down from mom and dad. Because what we don't realize is this is not actually the first sacrifice. Actually, this is the second noted sacrifice in all of the Bible. Because see, after the fall, Adam and Eve were naked. They saw their shame. They hid from God and they knew that they had sinned. God comes walking through the cool of the day, as it says, calling out and Adam and Eve are nowhere in sight. All of a sudden, God says again, Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, we're over here. God says, why are you hiding? Did you eat of the tree? And my, it's my favorite response in the Bible. This is a typical man for you. God, the woman that you gave me ate the fruit and then I ate it after. So you know what, you know what he did? First he blamed God. This is typical for man. We blame God first for everything. And secondly, then he blamed his wife. Another typical thing for a man. We'll blame our wife. So God, seeing that they knew that they were naked, does something that a lot of people don't pick up on. It says that he took skins of an animal and he clothed them with them. Now here's what you got to understand. This is at the fall. Death has not entered the world yet. Animals are not dying. People are not dying. There is no sin except for the fall taking place. So for this animal to give up its skin, to clothe Adam and Eve, something had to happen. Someone had to kill it. The first sacrifice to cover man's sin is by God himself. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So after some time comes about, Adam gives birth to this son and they give a sacrifice. One sacrifice is of the sacrifice of the fruit. Now I'm going to say something about this. Is there really anything with a gift offering of fruit? No, in the Old Testament, there are multiple times talk about in Leviticus where there are grain offerings, where there are wave offerings. And all of these offerings do involve fruit or grain or things like this. But the offering that is being given here has a deeper symbolic meaning. And it's a meaning that I have to wonder, where did Abel get this? Abel brought the fat of the calf. You know how you get the fat of a calf? You got to kill it. Abel brought his yearlings, sacrificed before God. And I just got to ask myself, why? Why? Not even just why, but how did he know 
that this was needed. Y'all know Abel didn't have Sunday school, right? Y'all know Abel didn't have discipleship training, right? Y'all know Abel did not even have a copy of the Bible, right? He didn't have podcasts to listen to to hear the latest sermon on giving or offering. And you know what else he didn't know about? He did not even know that there was a proper way for atonement to be made for sin. And in Leviticus 17 verse 11 it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. What we don't see in this offering that Abel is giving to God is that it is more than just a gift. Because in Abel's heart, he has honestly sacrificed, spilled the blood of an animal. And why? Because even Abel knew that from the very first man, sin entered us all. Abel's sacrifice is a foreshadowing or a reflection of things to come with the Levitical sacrifice that will take place over 1,600 years later. Next week, I'm going to read some prophecy to you, all of you and the kids from Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 9. This scripture is written some 700 to 600 years before Christ is born, but yet it speaks so clearly of his birth. Because you see, brothers and sisters, The whole Bible, the whole Word of God is always prophesying of things to come. This sacrifice that we see in Genesis chapter 4, it's not just merely somebody saying, God, I messed up. It is foreshadowing of altar sacrifices that will be taking place some 1,600 years later. And we know that through, uh, through Hebrews that these sacrifices are just foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice that will take place some 1,400 years after that. But yet, somehow, somehow, Abel knew to do it. Faith compels us to do some pretty crazy things sometimes. Faith is what compelled New Tribe Missions, what it was originally called, to go and minister to these people, even though it cost them their life. Faith is what compelled Nate's sister and Jim's wife to continue the ministry that eventually led to the evangelical outreach to that community. Faith is what has brought many of you here today. Not really understanding why you're here, but knowing that you need to be here. 
Faith is what brought you to an understanding and a realization that you are sinners, that you are dead in your sin, and that you needed a sacrifice. But faith, going back to that first sacrifice, tells us that, just like Tommy said a while ago, from the very beginning, God was ready to make a sacrifice for the sin of all the world. And he was going to do it through his son. Faith, our faith, starts with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Years before Jesus even comes to this earth, Abel is speaking to us about the need for the shed blood for our lives. But just like everything else, we miss it. We miss it. Why do we miss it? We miss it because there are forces that are trying to silence us. Jesus told us that the adversary, Satan himself, comes to do three things. He comes to, who knows the first one? Still. Still. What's one of the things that Jesus, that Satan tries to steal from us? Joy. Peace. What else? Come on, y'all don't think it's more. Family. What else? Love. Anybody else got one? I got a big one, and this one just hit me the other day. You know what Satan wants to steal from you more than anything? Your voice. Think about that for a minute. More than anything else, Satan wants to steal your voice. Satan allowed Abel, influenced Abel, or Cain, whatever you want to call it, to do something very harsh. He tried to steal Abel's voice. And how did he try to do it? Kill him. What's the next thing that Satan wants to do? Kill us. You know that, right? Satan wants you dead. You didn't wake up thinking about that this morning, did you? You didn't wake up thinking about that if you are a believer in Christ, that there is a target on your back everywhere you walk. You didn't wake up this morning thinking about as you walk and go to church, drive to church, however you got here this morning, that you are a threat to Satan himself. And why are you a threat to Satan himself? Because you have a voice. Because you have a voice that can proclaim the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which brings the remission of sin, which takes away every single bit of power that Satan has. Death. You ever thought about that? Satan wants to steal your voice. He wants to kill you physically. And also he wants to destroy your reputation. 
Brandon said some words last week that I've had to live through myself. And it never fails that every time that you are obedient to do what God tells you to do, that Satan, his self, will show up with all power. And he does a good job. Because see, Satan knows how to make me angry. Satan knows what buttons to push in me to get me going. Satan knows that I am a master at saying the right things in the wrong way. So he allows or enforces or tempts me to do these things. And why? Because he desires to destroy my reputation. You see, the first evidence of true faith, true faith mentioned in the Bible, which is the faith of Abel, is met with immediate resistance. Satan himself tweaks his brother's buttons and his brother does exactly what Satan wants him to do. He silences his brother, stills his voice, kills him. And then, if you read on, he tries to destroy him as well, destroy the reputation as well of Christ, of God. And part of this had me wondering. Part of this really had me wondering this week. Is this why so many Christians are silent? Is this why so many of us are silent about our faith? It's because we know that Satan's going to come at us. Is it because we know that Satan desires to kill us? Is it because we know that Satan desires to destroy our reputation? Is that why we're silent? Because if that's not why we're silent, somebody please help me. Why are we? Do we have faith like Abel had faith? To know that the shed blood is what brings about remission of sins and man's greatest problem is not anything that we think it is. Man's greatest problem is only sin. And sin is what brings about death. And Christ is what brings about life. So do we believe it? Even in Abel's not understanding of everything that we understand today, he was still obedient. And that's what Abel's faith is really marked for. It's an obedient faith. He followed what God really told him to do. Whether he heard it from his parents, whether God put an unction in him himself, we don't know. 
But we do know this. Abel was faithful to what he believed. Are we? Jim Elliott was faithful to what he believed. Are we? Alan McCauley was faithful to what he believed. Are we? Nate Saint was faithful to what he believed. Are we? Elizabeth Saint, or Elizabeth Elliot was faithful to what she believed. Are we? Rachel Saint was faithful to what she believed. Are we? Because brothers and sisters, the last time I checked, and y'all have heard this time and time and time again from me, is our mission is to go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that he has commanded us and remember that he is always with us. Those are our marching orders. We don't have to follow an unction. We have a clear, concise order. Are we obedient to our faith like they were? Last time I checked, most of us are not going to face persecution for sharing our faith in America. So why is it that we're so resistant? Why is it that we are obedient to our faith like all these were? So last week I told you I was going to be giving you all a homework assignment. And I'm not sure how we're going to do it. But I do know this. The homework assignment is going to go something like this. I want you to share how Jesus has radically changed your life in two sentences. Two sentences. Okay? I know. Brandon, he got 30 minutes. He, he also got walk-up music, okay? But I'm not asking you to stand in front of the pulpit and share. But I am asking you to share with me how Jesus has radically changed your life in two sentences. And I'm not just talking specific to salvation. Maybe God completely rescued you from a horrible situation. Maybe God healed you from cancer. Maybe God, when you couldn't have children, gave you children. Maybe God healed and restored your marriage when it all seemed unglued and over. Maybe God stepped in in a moment when you needed him most and he made himself so real to you that your faith boiled over. Your homework assignment is to tell me your story of how God radically wake, woke you up in two sentences. And some of you say, well, Scotty, I don't know that I have one of those stories. Well, that makes me want to ask you another question. Can you take me to a time in your life where you made Jesus your Lord 
and your Savior. Can you take me to a point in your life where you knew that God stirred in your heart so much that you knew you had sinned and you knew that sin separated you from ever, for, from, forever from God and that the only way you could come in contact with God face to face on a good standing was through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And because of his death, burial, and his resurrection, you no longer have to fear the judgment, the wrath that God has in store for those who don't. Can you take me to that moment? If not, what's stopping you from doing that today? What's stopping you from saying, Jesus, I messed up. What's stopping you from saying, Jesus, I've made my life a wreck? What's stopping you from saying, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life? What's stopping you from saying, Jesus, will you save me this morning? Pray with me. Father, while there are still things about the faith that I don't fully understand, I know that understanding is not what I've been promised. But I do know this, Lord, that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know where my eternity lies. But Father, I also know that that message of the gospel has the power to change lives. So this morning, Lord, if there is somebody in, our, in the range of my voice that needs to surrender their life to you, Father, don't allow anything to hold them back. This morning, Lord, I know Satan is trying to silence our voices. I know that Satan is trying to kill us physically. And I know that Satan is trying to destroy our reputations. But Father, I pray that you would help us to stand bold against the enemy. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that victory has already been won. And he has no power over us. The only thing that he could ever throw at us, death, has been annihilated. So, Father, I pray that you would renew a passion in us to help us be bold, especially during this Christmas season, to share the greatest thing that ever happened to us. This morning, Lord, help us to be obedient to the faith that we say we have. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. 
We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.